Did you know that kinky wellness is integral to your self-development? Hi, my name is Dana Shrigal. I'm a kinky wellness coach and owner of The Partition, home of kinky wellness. Each Monday, I bring on a guest to discuss why kinky sexual wellness deserves a seat in the wellness conversation. You can catch my solo shows on Wednesdays, but let's jump into it. Hey, welcome back. Today, we are joined by Edie Nathan. Edie is an LCSWR, ASEC certified sex therapist, hypnotherapist, certified EMDR practitioner, Psychology Today blogger, international speaker, and workshop innovator with more than 20 years of experience. Edie is the author of It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss, and is currently the leading voice for our topic today, which is sexual grief. Edie is the first clinician to accurately label and coin the term sexual grief, so let's welcome her to the show so she can share what sexual grief is, what the symptoms are, who is affected by this, and what we can do about it. Welcome to the show, Edie. How are you doing today? I'm doing really great. How are you doing today? I am good. I am good. I am looking forward to today's topic on sexual grief, as this is a fairly new topic to me and a fairly new term. So I guess I just want to start with a little bit about you and what is sexual grief? It's, it's a great question and a valid one for sure. So to talk about myself is, is like saying, I believe in finding your passions and not limiting yourself to just one thing. And because I have so many different passions, which include the mind, include, include the body, in, in, include how we get to being centered and balanced with the self. And I would say overall, everything I do from public speaking to my work as a clinician, therapist, um, to, to my work as a, as a writer, that my message is always, how do we get to our best selves? And that's my goal for me. And it's my goal for the people I speak with and the people who are in my, in my field of community. Wonderful. Wonderful. So what brought you to doing work on sexual grief? When you work with the three things that people don't want to talk about, that would be trauma, sex, and grief, because trust me, those are the three topics that any one of them, nobody really, really wants to talk about. <laughs> but that's what I work with. I work in the field of trauma, in the field of grief, and actually wrote a book called It's Grief, The Dance of Self-Discovery Through Trauma and Loss. So there's that grief part. And when you talk about sex and then you put them all together, what happens when in working with, with those three challenges that we face, and often it's hard to avoid, except for perhaps the trauma, I would say that trauma and one's sexual identity um, is there no matter what. And when there is trauma that, that, that coalesces in these two other pieces, people come into therapy wanting help. And I've gone to conferences and I've spoken with colleagues. And though we are trained as talk therapists, meaning someone comes in and we talk about the problem and, and there are a variety of different tools that get someone interacting with their trauma and helping them to navigate through the very, very tricky territory of that trauma, that there's there, there's been a missing piece and I couldn't figure out what that missing piece was. And and I struggled and I I I, I said there's there's something, there's a reason people aren't, and I'm gonna say getting better, but I want your re, your your listeners to understand that when I say getting better, it's not about forgetting. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's about learning to live with their traumatic experience and living with their traumatic grief or sexual aspects of, of their lives in a way that's more peaceful, in a way that doesn't, doesn't create such harm that they can't access their personal identities or their personal identities have com been completely crushed. So I, I went about trying to figure out what's going on, what's going on. And there was a through line that every client, every colleague I spoke to who works within this field seemed to communicate. 
And that was that their clients were feeling as if they were held hostage by the trauma, by their sexual trauma, by their sexually traumatic event or sexually traumatic experience. And I'm going to break down those two, the meanings of those two. What is an event? What is a sexually traumatic event? And what is a sexually traumatic developmental experience? And I'm going to really break them down. But the realization, one, that there's a breakdown, there's a, there's a, there's, there's, there's two different sexually traumatic things that can happen to a person that affects their ability to access their personal identity or, and holds them hostage. Wow. And that's where I came up with sexual grief. So, wow. So that term sexual grief now, it, I feel like people might think of all sorts of things. Now, is it more than just an event? As you said, it was a development stage. As so, well. so I'm going to now break it down because first I wanted to introduce it. And the questions are beautiful because that's exactly, it's like sexual grief. What's that? <laughs> and if you haven't heard of it, I'm not surprised. The only way that it's currently out there in the world is it is a grief that is experienced by a partner who loses a sexual partner, but that is not what I'm talking about. So I'm going to give two definitions. Sexual grief is a natural, and I call it the sexual grief effect. The sexual grief effect is a natural response to a sexually traumatic predatory or exploitive ex event that holds someone hostage and takes away their sense of self. And it is, a, it is a result of, and it is a natural response to that predatory or exploitive event. And I'm not going to necessarily name them, but I'm sure that you can imagine what they might be. You know, it is it is a trauma that is that is done to someone. It is not by choice. It is usually can can often happen within a family system, which is incest, or can certainly be other situations that would be exploitive, like domestic violence, that can leave someone feeling as if they don't know who they are anymore. And what results is the sexual grief effect. Now, the sexual grief effect, and I'm going to give the second meaning, but what is common in terms of what is felt in the body and the mind are senses of self-loathing, our senses of shame, feelings of being disconnected from the mind and the body. And in um, sports, they have a name for it. It's called the twisties where the mind and the body are no longer connected and you don't know how to land correctly. Simone Biles, one of our famous Olympians in the Japanese uh, Olympics had what was referred to as the twisties where she couldn't land correctly. She couldn't land correctly. And she was just coming off of making it very public what had happened to her by her trainer and that she had been abused. And then she goes to the Olympics and she's supposed to be the star and she's not functioning at her, at her best in her best self. And it's as if in the moment of knowing how to land and how to land, she couldn't. And her mind and body were just really kind of at odds and she had to get herself back together again, so to speak. So that is the sexual grief effect as a result of an exploitive or predatory event. And it's an event versus the sexual grief effect is a natural response to a developmental experience that leaves one feeling as if they can no longer be in the world. They were meant in a way that they were meant to be. And again, it is coupled with self-loathing, with shame, depression, acute anxiety, and the outcomes in both arenas. And it's an experience as opposed to an event. 
because we have developmental experiences from the time we're born until the time we die. And those developmental experiences are normal. They're normal. They're go on a first date or develop breasts or have a first crush. And those, or you're born to uh, uh, parents, you know, whoever those parents happen to be or uh, one parent and that parent supposedly cares for you. But what if that parent didn't want you when she, when you were in her womb, but she continued to raise you and you knew it. That is a developmental experience that can create a sexual grief effect, shame, self-loathing, I'm not wanted, and how that then carries through the rest of one's life in the way they develop relationships, in the way they are sexual or not, in the way they form community or not, or the, the young, the young girl who is not informed about her menses and thinks when she gets her period at nine that she's bleeding to death. And so every month, even though her grandmother, let's say, gives her everything that she needs to take care of herself, she doesn't, she still has the implication of that experience and the trauma of thinking that she was dying. I think that's very powerful. And to a point, I didn't see it from that perspective, but yes, I think that it can be a shock considering that it's not necessarily something that's really talked about that much as open as it should be. No, but yeah, even the first dates, if you had a terrible first date, it will that's start. Right. The- yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. yes. Yes. So, so I, I ran into this young kid at a Walmart um, parking lot and, and I don't know, he was like pushing carts and then he was like waiting for me to load my car and I'm loading my car and I'm loading my car and he just seems to want to talk. And he's like, I see you're from New York and I'm in Florida. And, and he, and I'm finally just say, okay, you know, I'm just going to stop loading my car here and I'm just going to take pause for a minute. And uh, he's like saying, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh my God, I, I, they, I must have therapist written on my forehead. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, I, 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 it's so funny sometimes. And yet that conversation was actually a monumental conversation for me in so many ways, because first I told him about my first book, It's Grief, because I said, I'm a writer. And then he wanted to know, well, what else are you writing? And it was like, then I took pause, Dana, I took pause. I said, okay, am I really going to tell this 16-year-old kid like what I'm writing? And I figured, okay, well, sure. And I said, well, I'm writing about sexual grief, the sexual grief effect. He's like, I know what that is. And I'm thinking, okay, now this term isn't really out there. How does this kid know what that is, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't that be your question, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So so he says, well, you see, um, I dropped out of school and that's why I'm doing this job. And I paint houses during the day and my parents kicked me out of the house because my then girlfriend told the entire school that I had gotten her pregnant. But you see, the thing is, is that we never even did it. And the thing is, is that she spread a lie and I was so humiliated and so ashamed and filled with, filled with such loathing his words that I dropped out of school. My parents kicked me out of my house and here I am not exactly knowing what I'm doing. So yeah, I know what sexual grief is. And every time I tell that story and I've told it, I often present, I open with that story because it's so emblematic of what we're facing and what we're dealing with. I still get chills. Yeah. I have goosebumps because I actually can think of just so many people that I personally know that I think as well that they started off with sexual grief and it has structured. Now we fast forward 10, 15, 20 years, and they're still kind of acting out, out of these past things that have happened to them when they were younger. That's right. That's right. That's right. So the, the sexual grief effect, now that you have an understanding is an event that happens and is a developmental experience in both cases, there is loathing, there is self-loathing, there is shame, there is a disconnection between the mind and the body and the heart and the soul. 
and one's personal and social identities. And we can also see it in someone who's been brought up in a very strict religious household, whatever that means. And the men that I have worked with, and I've worked with a fair amount of men who are living um, as heterosexual men in straight relationships when they are really gay. And, and they, in order to keep their families and their religion and their uh, support systems intact, they live two lives. And the sexual grief effect is monumental in their lives. But it happens for, for men, for women, for they and them, really for all people within the LGBTQAI plus communities. And there are 73, you know, kind of different aspects within the LGBTQAI plus um, spectrum. Wow. Now, when it comes to certain signs that someone's currently in this, is it traditionally the same signs for both males and females? Or is there kind of more predominant elements for one versus the other? It's going to be different for everyone. Mm. So when you think about grief, Grief is not experienced by anyone in exactly the same way. It's kind of like your fingerprint, right? Our fingerprints are our identifiers and no one has the same fingerprint. So the way someone experiences this, it's not going to be the same, but some of how they communicate, I feel trapped. I feel stuck. I feel imprisoned. I'm hearing it perhaps communicated in a different way but it comes down to the same thing. I feel like I'm held hostage. I feel stuck. I feel trapped. And I can't get out of this mire that I'm in. And I don't have a life that I, that I want to live or that's worth living. I sometimes face suicidality. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. And they all come in with some kind of traumatic feeling. And I think that as clinicians, we may be missing it but we're missing it because we haven't had an accurate label. And I think it, it, it does tie in so much with our sex, um, everything to that. It is something that is part of us. And because we lack the conversations on it, it can be easy to miss in this element as well. Cause even within, I think, wellness, sex is the last thing that comes at the bottom. That's right. And that, and really this is what much of your program seems to be about really like how do you get comfortable with all the different parts of your sexual self and to be willing to explore and there are you know i in 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 i i must admit i i went in and i did a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the the work and i loved your your aia i loved the idea of aggression of imagination and of attention and that for, you know, kinky wellness that, you know, you, you, you want to really understand the basics. And really, I think there are a lot of people who are in the sexual grief effect that may go into the world of kink and, and want to perhaps even create hostage situations or go into um, a situation where they don't necessarily ha have an understanding of why there's a turn on or a turn up around certain things, but there is, and to, and that there can be a lot of aggression. And I think that un that unleashed anger and that unknown anger is very much part of the sexual grief effect. Well, thank you so much for that as well. And I do think that kinky wellness is a good outlet. I think for them, for some that do know the basics to kind of work through sexual grief because some of what you're saying, it, it is, I see it in my own work as well with people. It, it, it comes back to traumatic points, but I think people always think it has to be very, very big, a very big traumatic thing. And your points on the first date and things like that, or rumors being spread around you, they can have the same impact of it because it's still making That's you feel right. these negative things. That's right. It doesn't mean you were touched illegitimately. It doesn't mean something happened to you and you're not remembering, but sometimes we don't remember like like i'm sure my walmart kid is going to remember what happened because everything in his life shifted but we might not remember that we were not wanted as a child we might have just kind of put that aside but the ramifications of that 
have far-reaching effects and that we as clinicians are missing those timelines. And one of the things I talk about, and I again, I love your AIA, is, um, you know, where on your developmental timeline, you know, do you think there was grief? Do you think that there was a sexual incident that was disappointing? And I like to think that every age has a door and that let's walk through the door. Let's explore what's in the room what's there, who's there, what happened then, and using a bunch of different techniques, including hypnosis, including mask making, we can start to look at what's inside those different doors and where some something developmental happened that we don't remember, but is affecting us in our, in our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think performance would be another big one as well. I think a lot of people, even if they don't remember their first time having sex or the second or third, fourth time, those little disappointments, they will add up and they will hit on your, I guess, how you feel about yourself and your confidence. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, Ah, absolutely. Now you mentioned that the dance of grief is more like a hero's journey. And I would like you to more explain or expand on that. So, you know, the dance of grief is, and people often say, what do you mean dance? How could you like, like dance, dance and grief? So really what I'm talking about about is how you partner with it. Because in order to, to look at the sexual grief effect, in order to look at one's own grief and the losses that we incur in our lives, it's a partnership. And usually what all we want to do is push it away and push it away and push it away. And what we know is when we push things away and we don't really look at them, what happens? They get bigger and bigger and bigger. The the hero's journey is a journey of facing something that forever changes you. And that, that, that idea that you are forever changed because of a big loss or even sometimes a, a little loss, a big T or a little T, a big G or a little G, that those that those losses create a shift in oneself. That shift then takes you away from the self and the hero's journey in its, in, in its short version, which was created by Joseph Campbell, who wrote, you know, the, right, the hero's journey. And, and, and he talked about, you know, you take the ordinary life and you, remove, you are removed from that ordinary life. And then you go into what he called the innermost cave. Those are his words, not mine. Okay, so I'm quoting him on this. And, and the innermost cave is where you, 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 you go into the parts of the self that you want to avoid, that you are afraid to look at, that are too big, and that you kind of must grapple with and look at because they are the things that keep you from actually knowing your best self and from imagination and from the attention to the self. Because the things that we don't look at are most often the, the the qualities, the the architecture of our lives that we that we need to harness. And so we are continually in this cycle. And you come out of that innermost cave, and then you start to see who are my friends and who are my enemies and who who's going to join me on this journey. Because what we also know is that when we change and when we shift, sometimes there are people who don't want to join us who, you know, are either insulted or hurt by our next movement or can't tolerate the integrity that has been gained from the innermost cave or cannot tolerate a truth seeker when they want to remain blind. And what happens in the innermost cave is the blindness starts to lift. And that's what we want to happen. And we're always blind and we're always lifting off the the mask, if you will. And we come out of that innermost cave. We figure out, oh, like, who are my friends and who are my enemies? And that's always good to know. And then we we enter into, and this is a very, very, you know, uh, short kind of explanation of this. We go into what's then called the new ordinary. And that new ordinary is where imagination certainly begins. And it is kind of the the presentation of the new, but we're still ourselves. We look the same, we talk the same. And yet, because we've gone through this journey, 
the implications of that journey forever changes the way we hold on to ourselves, our how we hold on to our personal identity, how we even um, speak to and associate to our social identities. Absolutely. And I think it's just one of those things that you have to go into that cave over and over and over again. And yes, people really yes, need to. Yes. I think it's, I'm not going to say it gets easier every time, but in the same breath, what was once hard becomes easier. And then yes. the challenges get, and that's kind of how I think people should look at it. Yeah, I love, I love that. And that's exactly it. And it, maybe it's because on some level, you know what to expect, even though you don't want, know what to expect. Because when what goes on in that innermost cave, you know, is that you're dealing with archetypes and archetype is like you're a very well-known symbol that is known no matter what your language, your religion, your sex, for example, an archetype is mother or father. And when I mention mother, it's, and I say it, let's say in your language or mama, or everyone knows what that is. They, they, they may not have a relationship to it, but so that is what an archetype it is, is it's a symbol that we all know and understand. So what happens in the innermost cave is we also deal with those archetypes the good mother, the not so good mother, the good father, the not so good father. Absolutely. All that internal work. Yes. Well, you mentioned a little G and a big G. And can you explain what the difference of those would be? Sure. The big G is the big griefs and the little G are the little griefs. The little griefs are the, the, the little moments in life that we take a hit. And, and it can be as benign as you had a really bad haircut, but it changed the way you saw yourself or felt about yourself until it grew out and you felt you didn't feel like yourself. And that sounds kind of benign, but for some people, it may not be. Uh, it, it, it could be you moved when you were seven. It could be, so it could be those little griefs. It can also be the loss of a job, which could be a little G or could be a big G if you are then not able to find another job. So those are your little Gs. The thing is, is that when a little G accumulates and accumulates and accumulates, it can certainly become a bigger G. And big Gs can be loss of a pet, of course, loss of a loved one, absolutely loss of a home, uh, loss of income, loss of a limb, disabilities, loss of, of desire, loss of your sense of self. And those are big G's. I'm glad that loss of desire is under a big G because sometimes I feel like people just think, oh, it's not that bad. Like, oh, it will just come back to me. Like as if it's, but it doesn't come back. Like you have to work on it to come back. And so to fall that under the big G, that's very, very important. I agree. I could not agree with you more. I think it's, it's, um, and I can only speak to my culture. So here, you know, in the States, we, we, we don't understand that when someone takes a medication and it interrupts their ability to enjoy sex or to, um, have an orgasm or to maintain an erection, how much it can mess with the mind and heart and body of someone and be so disorienting and for for all people um no ma- no matter where where they are in, in on on any spectrum that they that that when you take that away or you don't even know that it's missing or people with disabilities who have desire and whose desires are ignored we we are not teaching our medical society and the people who are becoming our physicians just the importance of understanding the the losses that are um that 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 many people feel when they when they lose part of that personal identity i think losing desire is just a setup for a very sad life like it is sad cuz then it becomes almost gray and just monotone and like you just going through the motions of just like eh yes and there's a yes and to that and the yes and to that is that that 
Sometimes that loss of desire is the only way they believe they can protect themselves from harm. Mm. Yeah. And I must say that because we are talking about the sexual grief effect and the natural response to a predatory or explo exploitive experience or event. Very and so, you know, um, so how, how do you then first um, help someone begin to feel trust or safe? And those are the beginnings perhaps of reigniting desire. Now, when someone does identify that they might be going through sexual grief or like, what are some of the first steps that they can start to do to work on themselves for that? Mm -hmm. So um, the, my book is not yet out. So I would say, get my book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we'll put all the links there. You know, <laughs> so what, one of the things that I, that I, that I really talk about in the book and if they want more information, they can certainly contact me through my website, ednathan.com, are the six hostage negotiation strategies. Because what I do is I help my people learn six hostage negotiation strategies because they're, they're really being held hostage. And I teach these six negotiation strategies. And the first one is curiosity. And so what I would recommend to anyone who's like saying, oh, you know, that's me, be curious that the sexual grief effect is actually your hostage taker. And so let's be curious about that hostage taker. Like, when did you come in and, and what do you want from me? And what is your purpose? And those are questions we don't ask. We just often are in the, the, the thick of it. And it's like an, an emotional labyrinth of quicksand. And so to, to begin to, to ask the self, okay, what can I be curious about? Let me think about my timeline. Let me, let me think about when my self-loathing or my shame came into being. And I, I would really recommend not doing this alone. And even upon, after hearing this, to, to find a professional, if you can speak to someone, write all of this down. This is for all people, you know, whether you uh, are cisgendered, you are non-binary, you are, you, you have made the choice to, to live your lives, however you live them, that this, this is not limited to any, any one person. It's for all people. And when someone is feeling as if their experience, their event is holding them hostage, instead of not being curious, start to be curious. Now, this work can absolutely cause anxiety. And there's some wonderful exercises that one can do to break some of the anxiety. One of them is to put your forefinger on top of your thumb and close your eyes and breathe and try to feel your fingerprint. And what it does is it's a self-regulating exercise and you do it very, very, very slowly. And you do it with both hands. And if, and if you are not able to use your hands for whatever reason, then what I want you to do is move your eyes from side to side. And all you're going to do is breathe. And what this does is that it begins to regulate the body. Because what happens in the sexual grief effect, whether it's as a result of a sexually traumatic event or a sexually traumatic developmental experience, you're in a, in a often a dysregulated state, which is why you want self-protection at all costs, which means stay away. And so how to invite the body to actually speak with you, which is part of the dance. Let's dance with this. Let's be inquisitive. I'm going to partner with my hostage taker, which is actually what the true hostage negotiators do when, when, when a hostage taker has taken hostages, they want the hostage taker to know they're being listened to. Mm -hmm. And what we often do is stop listening because it hurts too much. But if you are in charge of your curiosity, then it might not hurt so much. Growth is painful. I think that growth and learning, I think I heard a quote that said, pain is the ultimate high cost of growth. And 
when you are learning to work with this and with grief and all sorts of these negative things, it will be painful, but it won't be as painful as hanging on to that grief for an extended period of time. That's right. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Well, you talk about phases of grief and not the stages of grief. And I was wondering if you could differentiate between the stages and the phases. I can. Absolutely. So Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she was one of the most amazing women who brought in finally a conversation about grief that we'd never had before. And we were in a place where we were just trying to clean things up. But when she wrote those five stages of grief, she was actually, she actually wrote them for people who were dying. And what could people expect from people who were dying? And yes, you know, did they, did, you know, they went through those five stages and the last stage was acceptance. This is going to happen. And there was denial and And all of those stages happened and they kind of happened in kind of an order. And then, um, then it, 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 it got increased to the six stages of grief that now is more for people who are also grieving, but I'm still, and I honor all of the work around the six stages. And I actually think it's much bigger than that. And so in thinking about, okay, well, what what do people go through? Well, it's not really a stage. It's not finite. I think of a stage as having, right, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Done. I'm done with that stage. Okay. (laughs) Beginning, middle, end. I'm done with that stage. Good. Now I can go on to the next. And sadly, grief does not work that way. It moves in and out and up and down and all over the universe. And so, and you can have coupling of many, many different emotions, and they can also stand alone. And so I, I developed these, these 11 phases based on what I saw happening experientially with my clients, because I came into this work initially working with grief and working with trauma. The sex came a little bit later, but very, very naturally. And, and so those phases I see the first phase, which is what I call the emotional armor phase, as the go-to phase. And that go-to phase is where I think we go to rest, to break down, if you will. It's where numbness and denial exist. It's where emotional disorientation exists. It's, It's where protest exists. And wherever you are in those phases, whatever you're moving through, as you grow, as you discover, as you are moving through the innermost cave, because I see that they also align, and and I and I show that in in my book, that when you come out, you you're kind of like awakened in a different way, and you may need to go back to the emotional armor phase for self protection to think, okay, so where am I? What's going on? You may need to go numb. You may feel like you're in more despair because you've just learned something about yourself that then takes you on to a new adventure. And what the 11 phases do, there's anxiety, there's, there's rage, there's, there's anger, there's despair. Yes. There's depression. There are the three D's there's forgiveness. And there's grace and there's sadness and the sadness and the forgiveness and the grace in my phases come at the end because I think you can live with sadness. It's hard to live in anger, in desperation, in depression, in anxiety, but sadness you can live with. Forgiveness is less about what or who hurt you. It's about the forgiveness of the self. And in the sexual grief effect model, the forgiveness of the self, because often there is so much self-blame that goes in, that aligns with the self-loathing. And oftentimes when someone is grieving the loss of a loved one, they feel like I didn't do enough. I should have, there's the should. I should, 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 should. And I often say, don't should on yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because we need to get the shoulds out, but there's regret and there's guilt. And there's remorse. And so the forgiveness comes in in line with 
I don't need to live with this agitation anymore. So I may not forgive an act, but I forgive myself in not needing to think about it all the time. Mm, yes. And forgiveness is something just before we move on. I, I didn't really understand the importance of forgiveness until I took an acupuncture uh, session and okay. our organs are actually affected by forgiveness. And it's one of those things like when people are unwilling to forgive the amount of damage that it can do on your organs from that stress. And I feel like forgiving is something that people are like, oh, I'm never going to forgive that person ever. And they walk around like as if that's a good thing, but we need to rework that frame of mindset. I love that. That's exactly right. And and I don't know if if this is also aligns with what your experience has been with with the acupuncture, but the gut seems to be a really wonderful place where all that gets hold, held. Yes. Yes, and there's so much digestion problems nowadays that I, it's beyond just what we're eating. It's our our moods and our emotions affected if not more than the foods that we're taking. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, so that's why I, you know, I, I really look at these as phases and that they can, you can have, you can get to that last phase grace. And it doesn't mean, I don't feel that these phases ever end. It's just that the relate, your relationship with them is less intense, but nothing, nothing we do is about taking away what you remember it's learning how to remember more peacefully. Yes. Yes. And that's a good way to put it and not, again, when you push things down or try to forget it, your body's going to remember, even if your mind right. wants to pretend yeah. that it didn't, it will. And it shows itself right. in like forms of triggers or being when you interpret something that someone says to you and you are like, like really angry, yeah, but it right? didn't mean uh -huh. it like that. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. That's it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I did met, I did go on your account and I saw um, a term called plank and I was wondering what that was. P-L-N-A-N-K. Yeah. Oh, the plank. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so the plank and, and the reference to the plank, I believe is actually on sexualgrief.com, which is a different website. Um, but you know, again, easy, easy to get to. Um, and that the plank is a way to use the hostage negotiation strategies. And I, what I love about the plank is also, it's a way to just navigate your own shifting and your own awareness and how you're going to invite change in. So let's say you want to work on your grief or your grief reactivity or you want to work on your anger or your anxiety or your forgiveness or your self-loathing. Okay. So I'm putting it all out there as this big balloon. Okay. So what plank stands for the P is proper planning. And it's what are you going, how, what's the plan to deal with or to understand or to work with your anger, let's say. And you write everything down around the plan. I'm going to talk to it. I'm, I'm going to admit that it's there. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be aware when it pops up and when it's a, well, you know, we talked about big G's and little G's. Well, maybe when it's a big A and a little A and what am I most aware of? And so the plan is I'm going to be aware of it. When am I going to launch this plan? That's the L. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to launch it on a Saturday morning when I know I'm not going to be around too many people. And it's, it's going to, going to be time limited. It's going to be from 9am to noon and that's it. And, and, and then what is my action going to be based on the information I've gathered from nine to 12? Well, my action might, might be first, I'm going to collect my data. So my data might be, wow, I started to feel sweat going down my back when I was feeling this, that, you know, like I was ignored or I'm going to act on anything that I might have learned about how often I experience the anger, the little A or the, or the big A, right? 
And then the N stands for how am I going to navigate this? So you're going to, which means what am I going to put into action? So I'm going to the next time I have a time limited thing, uh, period of time. I, the first time that I notice a little A, instead of just taking note of it, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to separate myself from whatever I'm doing. I'm going to take some notes on it. I'm going to be aware of it. I'm going to be curious about it. And the hostage negotiation strategies, the first part is curiosity. The second is empathy awareness. The third is developing rapport with decency. And so here, like you're going through the hostage negotiation strategies as you navigate. So the K, the K is what I believe we all deal with. And that's the knowing and believing gap. I know what to do. I just went through this plan, but <laughs> I really don't believe it's going to make a difference. Mm. And that's really when we think about therapy or we think about going into the, the innermost cave or we even acknowledge that we're moving out of the ordinary because something's happened to us now or in our past and that there was a shift in us. And to say, I, I know, I know what this is, but I don't, I know what to do, but I, but I don't believe it's going to make a difference and challenging it and saying, I've got nothing to lose to try, but acknowledging and taking note of what is my knowing, believing gap. And in that, and I want to go back to your AIA, because if I think about your AIA, is my knowing, believing gap have to do with my aggression? You know, is my knowing and believing gap because I lack the imagination to imagine a better outcome? Mm. Is my knowing, believing gap because of something going on within my own attention to myself? Yes. Well, that was beautifully laid out. And from everything that I've gathered, I would say that I think everyone has been touched at one point or another by sexual grief because I, I would say that would, that's correct. Although publishers would disagree with you, but, um, <laughs> but, but I, I, I think that even in aging, I just spoke at Oxford university in September and, uh, at the end of the two hour, um, conversation with everyone, a woman stood up and said, I didn't know I had an emergency hysterectomy four weeks ago. And she was a young woman. And she said, and I didn't know what, what happened, except that I knew that I was, my hormones were going to be gone and nuts, but I had no idea that I was missing something that was so elemental to me. And she said, and now I know it's the sexual grief effect. Absolutely. So it, it hits us in ways that we that that developmental experience again is not because someone's hurt you sometimes it's because of something medically that occurred yes yes and just i think even teenage years and just oh, like that i i'm thinking of all the small things that have happened nice. in those years that i would definitely put under the category of like a small g under yeah. sexual grief that's right yeah Absolutely. I, I was very, very overweight as a teenager. I was very overweight and it affected my ability to know how the world works and it affected my personal identity and certainly my social identity, like not knowing where I belonged and the kind of misbehavior and, and lies and, and, and my, my treatment of myself was was so degrading and self-loathing. And it took me a lot of years to, to work on all of that as part of a paradigm of grief and now what I call sexual grief. Wow, yes, yes. Well, thank you for coming on the show and just sharing this. I can't wait for your book to come out. I want to read it and have you back <laughs> to talk more about yes. it because this is definitely a topic that I think everyone can relate to. This is definitely something that people should be aware of and definitely a term that should be widespread throughout everywhere. Because again, I do, again, I, I'm gonna say it again, I do believe that everyone has been affected by this and we can tie it back to 
And I do like the points about it doesn't have to be such a, an aggressive event that has happened because I think we do overblow it. And a lot of people will think, oh, it was a small event. No big deal. I'll just, I'll just get, forget. Yeah, I'll put it. it under the rug, mm-hmm. you know, except the rug keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think people feel silly maybe if they are talking about it, like uh, my first date didn't go very well. They don't want to even mention it or bring it up, but it's something that we do need to talk about. Absolutely. And they don't want to bring it up. And every time they go on a first date, what happens to their bodies? What happens to their minds? What are the, what's the kind of messaging that they're giving themselves? And then when they want to, let's say they've gotten beyond the first date and they're really attracted to someone and that expression happens to be sex and they're not able to perform or a woman experiences painful sex. I mean, we've got so many different experiences that can happen because of something that seemed tiny, but Mm. was not. Yes. And it develops almost an overthinking element, a self-sabotage almost. Yeah, that's right. Unknowingly. Unknowingly self-sabotage. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So thank thank you for this just wonderful conversation. And I, I, I appreciate being willing to, uh, you know, having you willing to share me as part of your uh, podcast. Well, thank you so much. And is there anything that you'd like my listeners to just truly know and understand before you head on out and where they can find you? Absolutely. So you can find me at edynathan.com. And if you and if you go to sexualgrief.com, it asks you, how much do you want to be involved in this, what I'm calling the sexual grief project? Because the sexual grief project is r- gathering stories and hearing people's um, outcomes. And did they align with what I've been speaking about today? Because you know, as I grow my, my mailing list, we're 10,000 strong and we're, we're, we're going for 20,000 be part of this important conversation. So sexualgrief.com, edynathan.com. And if you mention that you heard me on this show, um, mention Dana, you know, you will get a free chapter from the it's grief book. And you'll get the, you know, the hostage negotiation strategies if you are interested in helping with the cause. So wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much again. And for my listeners, I will see you all on Wednesday. And as always, stay kinky. Stay kinky.